Welcome to the Horsewise podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I interview Brent and Chris Graff on their very first podcast episode ever. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. On today's episode, we have Brent and Chris Graff of Texas. This was an interview that I enjoyed so much. Brent and Chris are just so low-key and quiet and calm, and to no one's surprise, they're incredible with working with babies, with young, very, very young horses, and helping people learn how to work with those babies as well. So I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who was as zen and quiet, yet said so many insightful things. Two things in particular really stood out for me. One was this idea of not just make the right thing easy, but make the right thing obvious. And the second was that instead of thinking about babies or horses as fight or flight, think of fight or flight or find a friend. And certainly in Brett and Chris, those babies have found a friend for sure. I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did. I'm also especially honored that Brent and Chris chose the Horsewise podcast to do their first ever podcast interview. Well, Brent and Chris, welcome so much to the Horsewise podcast. I really appreciate you both coming. I know that pretty much the days are full of horses and that you probably just came in from outside probably like less than an hour ago. So I really appreciate you. Okay. See, there you go. So I really appreciate your evening time. We're going to do our best to keep it focused. Um, it's hard because we get excited when we can talk to people like you, but I know, I just want to say, I really value your time and thank you for being on, on the podcast. You bet. Thank you. And thank you for having us. Thanks. And so one of the things I always like to start with um, is a little bit of how I came to know who you are. And I am a well-known Facebook stalker. This is like a hobby of mine. So whenever I see friends and colleagues sharing information or you know, kind of insights that they've learned from clinics, I pay attention. And that's how I first heard of you was there were several people who would share things maybe that you had said or talk about things they had learned from you in a clinic. And I'm like, someday I need to, to check him out. Like he sounds really interesting. And then in the Horsewise Scholars Group, which is a podcast study group, we've been doing a series this month on teachers who teach the teachers. And one of our favorite folks to interview in that group and also on the podcast is Amy Skinner, who, who I'm sure you know. And sure. when I when I happened to ask her who some of her favorite mentors are, your name was first on the list. So I'm like, here's my opportunity to finally talk to Brett and get to know him and Chris a little bit. So that's why we invited you on. Like I already had some knowledge of you. I was really intrigued by the things that you had done and how you approach your work. And so now I had the perfect excuse, right? We could say that um, you definitely are someone who, who teaches the teachers. So that's kind of the background on that. Uh, cool. Thank you. You're welcome. So the first thing I'd like to just sort of start with is you probably, I'm guessing, grew up with horses, always had horses in your life. Like, how did this all start? Yeah, I, I grew up on a small ranch up here in the Texas Panhandle. And uh, 
you know, we were riding in grandpap's lap before we could walk. So we grew up with horses and he instilled the love of horses in us and uh, kind of tried to teach us to, to look at them with a little more, uh, a little more of a kind way than what a lot of people were doing. And I could have learned a whole lot from him if I hadn't already known it all. <laughs> uh, anyway, he did try to teach us and some of it soaked in, uh, but yeah, we had a, let's see, I guess the first cattle drive that I remember going on, I was five and it was 10 miles and we did it twice a year. I thought everybody got to do that. That's just fun part of life, but I didn't realize how lucky we were. And growing up, the horses and, and the dogs were my best friends. And uh, anyway, so I've always had a love of horses. And uh, after college, I always figured I was going to go back to work on the family ranch. But whenever I guess about my junior year, maybe my senior year, I realized, you know, that little old place is only going to support so many people and they are all already there. And so I had to go out and find my own way. And starting Colts was a big part of my uh, early adulthood. I started my first Colt when I was in the sixth grade. Wow. And I'm, I'm sure that grandpa put a few rides on him first because he was just too easy. But it gave me a lot of confidence. And then that grew. And I started Colts for, I guess, a little over 20 years. And um, never wanted to teach anything. Uh, but it, a lot of the cults that would come in had troubles with people. And so cleaning up the, the problem, when people send problem horse, you know, I'd fix it up, send it back home. And a couple of weeks later, he's doing the same thing again. It's like, well, we fixed that up. And so I'd bring him over. I'll show you what I did. Oh, it's not the horse. So then it became... If I start your colt or work with your horse that has had troubles, you have to ride with me. And I'll in, you know, at least twice, but I'll get a foundation on the horse. And then as I'm, I'll ride the colt while they're riding a dead broke horse and I'll show them what the colt is doing. Then I've got to see how they ride. Then the rest of the time I had that horse, I had tried to ride like the owner. Because it was getting the horse ready for them, not getting them ready for me. Oh, that's fascinating. So pretty early on, it sounds like you you didn't just ride horses for the public. You kind of helped the public understand how to see it from the horse's perspective, like show them. I mean, when I look at some of your work, it seems like you're you're demonstrating feel. Here's a dead broke horse. You can watch me on the colt while you're riding the dead broke horse and just starting to develop this little bit of eye or a little bit of feel for the person can, you know, without being harsh or saying this is what you're doing wrong. Right. Um, and so I, I find that really, well, interesting and also super supportive way to teach people. Yeah. If, if you're not supportive to the person, I think you're not being supportive to the horse either. So there's, you know, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and, you know, with, with clinics, I never really intended to teach clinics, but uh, I ran into a couple of dangerous horses. And when I was starting Colts and thought, you know, I've got by on being athletic for a long time. I better start really studying here. Mm -hmm. So I'd go watch anybody 
you know, good horsemen, bad horsemen, learn what to do, what to not do. And then started kind of weeding out people and focusing in on, on what I felt like was good horsemanship. And um, anyway, people at the clinics that I was riding in uh, would ask me, well, you teach clinics too? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't just ride colts. That's all. And uh, one lady was real persistent. She said, well, you need to be teaching clinics. And about the third clinic that I rode with them, she goes, okay, are you teaching clinics yet? I'm like, no, ma'am, I do not want to teach clinics. I just ride colts. And she said, well, there's 10 of us. We want you to teach us a clinic. We're available these three weekends. We'll pay you this much. Which one works for you? And I thought, man, <laughs> you're persistent. You're just not letting that go. <laughs> I thought, okay, I got into this job to help horses. And I can help a whole lot more horses at a clinic than I can riding colts by myself. Because I would take in eight colts at a time. Uh, so uh, in, a, in a month, I'd have eight horses there. And so on a weekend, I could help more than that. And then word of mouth spread and it grew to something I never would have imagined. And it sure has been a lot of fun. How long ago was that first clinic? It's roughly 20 years-ish, something like that. Right around there. Wow. 20, 21, maybe. Wow. And so we, we do some traveling um, from mid-August until the end of November. We're on the road the whole time and in the Midwest and the South. And then, uh, then I'll fly out a couple of times to Oregon and Washington in July and August. But the rest of the time we're home working with yearlings and weanlings and getting them gentled and halted started. And we do a few young horse handling classes. It's what we call it, where we take untouched colts from the ranches as yearlings and teach people how to read the horse and to work with the horse and how to offer these colts something they can understand and accept that will help build to their life what it's going to be. And that's a whole lot of fun to do that. We get a, a whole lot done in a week. And, uh, you know, everything that we do with the yearlings, whether it's just Chris and I or whether we're in a class, it's not for what we're doing this time, whether it's like today we just did some first trims. And it's not about this trim. It's about the next trim. Oh, cool. So can I get them prepared for the next? If we can get the Colts thinking first, I think that's the biggest key. Let them have a chance to think. Mm -hmm. They're dang smart. So let them figure things out. If they get them in a thinking and learning frame of mind, they can get through any problem. But, and we try to introduce things in a way that makes sense to them. At first, you know, they're little wild horses. Uh, some of the ranches are, we, we work with some pretty big ranches. Mm -hmm. One ranch has 1.4 million acres in New Mexico. So, I mean, good size. Solid. Yeah, it's good size. Yeah. <laughs> and some of these horses run out in the pastures, big pastures. And uh, like one of the ranches, here is the JA ranch. It was the first ranch in the Texas panhandle. And uh, we'd set up a date to have them bring the horses in. And the ranch manager called me and says, uh, can we come tomorrow instead of today? And I'm like, well, that'd be fine. He goes, 
Well, good, because we can't find the the Colts. Uh-oh. <laughs> they ran through a lot of Paladera Canyon and some pretty rough country. Oh, gosh. If we can't find them. We're going to have to look at look for them by helicopter and then bring wow. them in. And I'm like, sure, that'll work. And <laughs> brought them in, but they were hiding down in the breaks. And It's kind of funny when people come to the halter starting classes, they, we get emails from people saying, well, are these horses that were born at your house in a stall? And it's like, no, 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 no yeah. as close to wild as you're going to get. I would venture to say, if you agree, even more so than people who adopt Mustangs, because yeah. Mustangs have been in the pens around people. A lot, yeah. For quite a while before they're put up for adoption. Yeah, some of that makes are, sense. Yeah, some of them have been around people some, but not too much. But at first, we try to go with them, you know, figure out their tendencies and use their tendencies, or stay a step ahead of them, and then go where they want to go. Then ask them to come with me for a minute. Then go back with them. Then blend in with me. Blend in with them. Then the next thing, you just go in together and. It's not very long until they're leading up real light on the rope. And we look at the lead rope is our reins. They're all going to be riding horses. So we're getting them ready for ranch life. You know, well, some of them are performance horses too. So we get them ready for that too. Whether it's rain cow horse cutting or the ranch horse competitions. We do a lot of those. The, uh, the yearlings who uh, who come in like that, do they stay with you up until they're started under saddle or are they only with you for a short time? They'll stay with us about a week. Okay. Then we'll send them back home and they'll turn them out. And then a year later, they'll start them under saddle. That's cool. One of the ranches, uh, the Singleton Ranch in New Mexico, um, uh, we'd start, I'll just start all their colts. And then the next year I go up in to their place and we start the two-year-olds under saddle. And so I run the start and we work all together there. And it's so much fun watching those little babies grow up. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I, I I don't mean to interrupt, but I, this is something that I've really found intriguing about your work. So I have never really worked with, I, I've never started Colts. I started two, but it was kind of, by one was totally by accident. And the other one kind of started himself. I just happened to be there. You know, he was one of those. Um, but one of the things that I've been interested in just personally is most of the horses that I've worked with, and it's not like I'm finishing them Brent or anything like that. I'm just, I get interested in the groundwork and the first few rides and trying to see where these horses that, you know, some of them have a fair amount of limitations where they can do a job, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I came to realize pretty much this year how the fact that I have no knowledge of what a clean colt is like, right? how that is really difficult um, get, it's a big gap in my knowledge because I don't really understand what is quote normal or what the potential is. Everything oh. I've handled, particularly in the last several years, has had a, an unusually heavy amount of braces. These these older these horses are running to age ten or eleven. Right. You know they're, they're they're cool horses, but they're 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 one big brace. You know you just have to kind of figure out how can I help you. So I, I love that. Yeah, Carry some baggage too. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. you have to undo that and then st try to start over. But the their first experiences, that's their foundation. And if it's a solid foundation, later on when they get worried, they'll go back to that. If it's not solid, when they worry, they'll go to that too. Yeah, that so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if you can lay that foundation solid, then that's what they go back to. 
and they've got a heck of a chance to to be good, solid, productive horses. And really, I guess they've got a heck of a chance to get along with people, even though some folks are, yes, uh, goobers would be about the <laughs> this word. That's, that a, that's a technical say. term. That's a technical ranch term, right? Yeah, it's, it's insider you know, term. <laughs> you don't want to say that, but you know. <laughs> you just <some> did. <laughs> did I? Okay. It's getting ready to bleep you up, but that's okay. Yeah, she tricked. She I tricked did. you. I tricked you. I tricked you. That's. I mean, I'm so disarming, and then boom. But it, I mean, I would put myself. I'd put myself in the goober category just to uh, make that clear to my listeners and everything. Uh, I mean, I have no experience with yearlings other than if I've been around yearlings, maybe minimally. My instinct has always been to kind of leave them alone, like a short yearling, particularly. Let's say that's you know? great. Don't leave them alone. Let yeah. the let the mama. Do her job to start with. Let them figure out how to use their own feet. Let them figure out how to. I mean, it doesn't take them long to be loping around and running and stopping and spinning around and, you know, bucking and playing. And they learn how to use their bodies. Let them figure that out. And then later on, come in and, and help them figure out how to take those movements to be productive when people are involved. You know, and to your point, we get a lot of people in here who they have a lot of really good experience. They're they not all of them, but you know, we get some people who are horse professionals in here, but they've never had the opportunity, like you were saying, to handle a pure horse. Yeah, that's something that they don't have the opportunity to ever see where they live. The horses are born right there around yeah. people. Yeah, and maybe, maybe overhandled, but with with the best of intentions, right? Sure. You know, yeah. you have an expensive, maybe you you've bred an expensive warm blood, and you you want to protect that mm-hmm. baby, and then by accident, yeah. you're 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 not maybe setting some things up for success. It, right. you know, you're, you're judging it by a human standard versus a horse standard, you know. And that's it's hard to try to figure out oh, how does a horse think. You, you know, you can Google that and get a hundred different answers and you can look up different books and they're going to tell you all kinds of different stuff. And you know, it's, how does a horse think if they could speak English then maybe we could listen to them and they could tell us, but that doesn't work. So we have to try to figure it out the best we can and handling a lot of untouched horses helps us figure out how, how do they perceive what we're offering? You know, if, if the first thing they learn is there's no boundaries, if they just get mugged, then guess what? When they're up a thousand pounds, they will let you know how well they learned that lesson. Oh yeah. And then, you know, it's unfortunate. And everybody does, we do the best we know. Right. That's all we can do. And then hopefully we learn more and then offering the best we know and then learn more again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, um, just like the way that you present things on this call, this Zoom call, this interview, um, you're so thoughtful. And I can picture you with the horses. I think I've seen little clips of you too. There's there's video evidence out there. Um, and it's really easy in the modern world, you know, to be so caught up on speed, speed of talking, speed of thinking, speed of distraction, stimulation, and none of that is super meaningful to a horse, you know? Um, And 
so I really, I, I really appreciate people who embody what they teach. And I can tell that you're one of those people, um, just with your voice and how you you're talking about the horses. Um, and I just appreciate that a lot. It's rare. It's rare. I, I get pretty excited about it. They, there's, they've taught me so much. They're so fun. And, uh, they learn so fast, so, so fast. Well, there's, there's one time at one of the yearling classes. So we'll have usually seven people and each person has their horse for the week from, from the ranch. It's not their horse they brought. So I'll assign them their horse for the week. And then at the end of one of those classes, there was a guy that says, so how long would it have taken you and Chris to, do these cults if you hadn't had us here? And I was like, well, you really don't want to ask that question. <laughs> you don't really want me to answer that. And he said, no, really. Well, you know, it's, it was a six day class. And in, in our classes, we get them to where they'll catch up nice, lead real lightly. We'll lead them through gates, send them through gates, uh, get them accepting saddle pads we've got a saddle pad with a cinch on it so we cinch them oh, cool. so they've already felt that before they go to the cold start uh, we'll put little kid saddles on their back so they'll feel the stirrups work them from another horse pick up their feet in the classes i trim all their feet and get them stepping into the trailer and backing off the trailer and that tying yeah almost forgot about that and we'll give them their shots and warmer and you know they would do that in you know, six days pretty easily. And so he said, so, uh, so how long would that attack? I said, really? He goes, no, really? I want to know. I said, it would have taken with this group probably three days. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he kind of deflated. It's like <laughs> teaching takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so much faster if you're not teaching. And, you know, Chris and I've been doing this for a lot of years and it's easy. You just know what each other's going to do. And each of you puts your strengths on the Colts. And so you just roll with it. But they're, the Colts are fascinating. They just, we learn so much from them every time. And, uh, I think you're going to see me one day up there. I can tell this probably would be a good thing for me to do. It, it would make me, it makes me feel a little bit like I don't know anything. The idea of going up and, and working with you guys. And so I'm thinking that as I'm, as I'm listening to you and I'm like, well, that's probably the right way to be. Right. Is yeah. to feel like you don't know anything. Like you're, you're open to what that cult is presenting to you and right. adapting to it. And, and, and this idea of, of maybe setting it up so that the cult can learn and you can learn while, by doing that. And yeah. I, I really like horses that at some point have been taught to think um, totally. it's a big thing, you know, and, even with these horses that I work with who are all super cool horses, they, I mean, you, it's very hard to make a horse still run when it's 10 years old at the track. Like that horse has to have something in it that it wants to do that. And uh, so they tend to have really kind of interesting personalities in a good way. Um, but what I have found is that if I'm being attentive and I set something up so that horse can learn it, he, it's like he owns that knowledge then. Yeah. I was talking, yeah, and so it's not like you have to reteach it. It's not like a, it's not like a mechanical cue. Yeah, it's not just repetition. Right. There's, 
And what we try to do, and you mentioned groundwork earlier on groundwork, whether it's the colts or whether it's our going horses in the clinics or, you know, horses that come with some troubles, can we teach them how to find the open door? That's a great way to put it. And so uh, I have to make sure that the desirable result, there's an open door for that. I can close one door but another one has to be open. So it's not, a lot of people just think in terms of pressure release or treats. It's like, there's no treats, but you know, sometimes there has to be a little bit of pressure, but it's more to block the undesirable. Like if they're fixing to run you over, you kind of want to block that. That would be a no. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's typically <laughs> a hard no for me. Yeah. yeah. That generally does not even cross their minds. They'd rather get away, you know, than to fight you. They'd much rather leave. And so you, you got to always give them an option to move and let, let them be right. Let them feel right. Then pretty soon they'll go, oh, is that what you meant? And then pretty soon they'll say, let me show you what else I can do. That's so cool. Let me show you what I figured out. And they're just like, okay, let's go. Let's roll. So, like, I, I love when they feel proud. I'm talking about horses in general that I've worked with, yeah. not, not colts, but there's something yeah. about building on that. So the yeah. other day, um, one of my uh, helpers at the charity, we were saddling a couple of horses, just testing, trying different saddles on them, uh, getting ready to restart them. No big deal. This is just kind of seeing a lot of times the ones that even if they've had a lot of time off, we give them a lot of time off these, these horses that came off the track after a long career, they, they might be reflexively a little girthy. And I'm like, well, is that a reflex or is there something going on? Is there something we need to look at? Is there ulcers? What is that? And also how does this saddle fit? Um, I like to personally always ride in a, like a wade tree the first time I'm doing it, but we'll put like lighter saddles on them and just get an idea of their feel and how they feel about, again, like the girth in the cinch or whatever. So this one horse, he's had over a year off with us, which I know sounds like a lot, um, but he, he he only has one eye. He raced till he was 12 years old with one eye. He lost it as a baby. No big deal. He adapted fully. And um, when he came, he was just super body tight. And I really felt like <laughs> he just needed to be a horse for a while. And uh, and he seems like he's really like that. So we pull him out and he, he'd been really skittish and shot. He worried about the flag. He'd been all tight. Whenever I'd work with him, I was just going real slow. And uh, it seemed like there'd been a change lately, just even going in and out of the gates. He was getting so light going in and out of the gates. Something really small, right? It's not like I'm I'm taking him barrel racing. It's just like, well, he goes through the gate so much better. Like that was a big deal for this horse. That took probably, say again? Good for you for noticing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And um, I get into these little weird details because, um, again, these horses, they have pretty big personalities in a good way. So I feel like they really they give a lot of feedback if you just pay attention. Right. So we go, we go, we put the saddle on him and, and he, you could just tell he was like, I'm so happy to have the saddle on. He just, he just kind of glowed with a, with this kind of quiet pride. And I'm like, Oh, this one I need to start working with. Like he is ready. He's, he's really wanting this. And so it was just very interesting to see that versus like even maybe six or eight weeks ago, we would have had a different response. Not that he would have been wild or, in any way, but he was really letting me know that, hey, 
if you want to get on now, that would be great. And I'm like, well, you still need to work a little bit on bending. Like, let's just, let's just, <laughs> just for my sake. But, really? um, but I appreciate, I appreciate the invitation. Like it was very much an invitation. Sometimes these guys they, with the groundwork, they're like, what are you doing to me? I don't get it. <clears throat> you put the saddle on and they're like, oh, I understand that. Please get on me. And I'm like, right. you, st- you still need a little more though. Like I said, a little more steering. So anyway, I love that moment because that told me that even though we'd been going with this particular one, he seemed to need a lot of time, that that had been the right thing for us to do with the knowledge that we have, you know, someone else might've done something sooner, but that, that it was working, it was working together when I saw how he responded to that. It's, yeah, it's not a, we shouldn't put a time frame on something like that. If you go back to that gate, Okay, he went he went through the gate easy. Okay, they should go through gates easy, but you think about his past, the tension, the excitement, the stress, sometimes the franticness in the starting gate. Exactly. Sometimes there's a lot of pain there too to get him in there and try to get him to settle and you know, trying to get him not to get out too fast. And there's a lot of confusing things there a lot of racehorses get troubled at the gate that's huge for him to go through a gate because it's similar to that starting gate also also the stalls how do they get to come in and out of the stalls how do they feel when they go in or out you know have they been tangled up in a stall like if they get stuck in a door do they come out too fast or if they start to push through someone and then they get beat up for it, reprimanded for it. Then, okay, now I go too slow. Now you're rushing me in. You're, you know, you're, you've got somebody behind me spanking me to get me to come out. What's the right answer? That gate is maybe a whole lot bigger than any of us would ever know to that horse. So there's, there's a lot of depth to any, situation that those horses may or may not have been in but when they come through something like that that's huger than just a gate i I love those little moments and i think um again those particular kind of horses lend themselves to that just a quick anecdote about this particular horse so um you know he's he's blind in his his he doesn't have a right eye so um and when he came, so most of the horses that come off the track after running that long, they have, as you can imagine, pretty abysmal leading matters. Like they're just like, so I'm on top of you and that's the deal. And it's like, well, no, that's not my thing. Sorry. So we need to kind of really start with that whole discussion first. And this horse, he's a, he's a smart horse. He's a nice horse. He was the worst I'd ever had by a mile. And it, what I came to conclude was that they had used the chain on him. The people who'd had him last liked him and they, they, they cared about him. It wasn't, you know, a lot of times people don't understand the framework at the track is these are, these are good people, but he had come to rely on that chain. Like it was a seeing eye dog. Oh, so, okay. so he's wait. I don't use a chain because, you know, the only way to stop using the chain is to stop using the chain. Right. So I just have, you know, a good rope halter and a longer lead. And so I had a different mechanism for saying that's a no, like you can't do that. I'm going to try to help you find a way. And he got really upset because he he wanted that almost, not that he wanted it, but he was really looking for that as a boundary 
<laughs> he understood that. He understood that. So I felt with my crazy rope halter, I almost felt dangerous to him because I, it was a different set of rules. And so like with sure. a blind with a blind person, context is everything. Familiarity is everything more so maybe for a horse. Right. So he's like, he understands the track environment. He understands the track tools. Here's this lady in a yoga you know, jacket or whatever, with a rope halter saying, you can't go past me. And it really was hard on him. And, um, and I realized we did this little compromise. So he, uh, again, doesn't have a right eye. So he always wants to turn his head to the right when I'm leading him. Well, normally that would be, no, I don't, I, I want you to be with me. Cause if your nose is going that way, your whole body is going to go that way. Right. And I, but I came to understand he needs to look. He's got to be able to see that. He's got to be able to see. And so we worked out this compromise, which is that you can look when you need to, if you can come back when I ask you to, and I will then invite you again. And also we have a thing about how far away you are from me when when we're doing this. And he was like, "Ah, all these rules. He was just very, (laughs) so silly. And uh, with the gate, his whole thing was, he was very polite coming out of the pasture uh, going into the barn. I keep them outside, but you know, if we have really bad weather, we put them in, but it was going back out. It was like, it, it felt like almost like at some point the, the rule had been in his life, if I'm getting turned out, just let go. I run. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Like, it's just not how I do it. And he was just, he was a little bit distraught that he, he was not being given that that was not the open door. There was a different open door. He was used to, I don't look for other open doors. This is the door. So that's why it was so interesting with him, with the one eye and kind of unpacking those layers rather than just saying, oh, he's just rude, right? But he wasn't, you could tell he was a horse. He really, when he would get upset and he needed to jump around, he would try to do it you know, at a reasonable distance. I always highly encourage them to do it at a reasonable distance, but he was really putting himself in that position. Like he did not want to, he wasn't, out of control. So anyway, just speaking to all those things you just said, this horse was a good example of that. You could have just dismissed him as rude and hostile. Um, But he was really trying to work with me. And once I figured out that he really needed to look, and as long as I set some basic parameters up for that, he really, he, he, you could see his mind. He was learning to find that, to search for that open door. That was the thing that was so hard for him is that I'm not... I'm used to doors closing. The chain closes this option. And uh, and when you with your stupid open doors that I'm supposed to look for, I don't get it, lady. You know, it's just really funny. He's he's such a cool horse. You you would love him. He's so, as I said, intelligent and sensitive. So yeah. I've seen several one-eyed horses at the clinics, and you just had to change your presentation to to kind of figure them out, get to know how they perceive the world, you know, what. What do they understand? And then how can we communicate there? And with, you know, with any horse that we work with, it's like, okay, what do you understand? And they can't tell me in the language that I speak. And so I I have to try to figure that out. So if I were to talk to you in Comanche, for instance, you might not understand that too well. Arabica. Asasikataban. And I would say, you know, I'm looking at you and you're like, that's a, fr- that's a friendly tone of voice, right? So that feels like a greeting to me. 
But if you said the exact same words with a different body language or a different tone, I would react to that. But I have no idea what you said to me. <laughs> you know? so, so, uh, let's see. I'll, just, I'll say it in English then. Hi, and thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Okay, so English it is then. Okay. So the, if they don't understand how I presented something, maybe I figure out a way to change my presentation to something that maybe they can understand instead of saying, no, you will do this because this is the only way I know how to present it. Maybe I'll change it. Ask a different way. Try to figure out how does he move and then ask him to move the way he moves and then redirect or blend in. But it's there's more than one way to ask a horse to do anything or a person. We have to figure out what makes the most sense to the horse, not just, I am the master. This is the way it is. It's like, no, the horse is the master. We're trying to figure out what he understands and teach me more, please. But it's your fun. When you say, kind of see how he moves and then yeah. let him move the way he moves, could you could you explain that a little more? I think I know what you mean, but I'm curious to hear more okay. about that. So let's say we're in a a pin, and what part of the pin is he more comfortable in? You know, if there's people over on one side and he's as has not been around people, he's going to be hovering over towards the other side of the pin more. Where are his friends at? If he's if the rest of his herd is there, that's where he's going to want to go. So every time he looks that direction, I will show up there. So every time he wants to, to, he goes, he looks where he wants to go. I'm there. And then maybe he'll go, maybe you got something to offer. It's like, well, come on over here and I'll get out of your way. Leave you alone for a little bit. I'll try to go where he wants to go. Try to get his mind where it's going to be anyway. And then let me become part of that. And now let's go somewhere together. Um, but if, you know, like you're a one-eyed horse, he wanted to look over to the outside because he couldn't see over there. Okay. Try to figure that out. Okay. Let's do that a little bit. Now, or if I'm, if I'm walking on his blind side, right, he can't see me too good. So it, if he looks off to the left further, and I jerk on him, that's going to come out of nowhere. That's a sucker punch. But if I reach over and touch him on the neck and say, now let's come back this way. If I can direct his thoughts to where we're wanting to go, it's a whole lot easier to get his feet there. One of the one-eyed horses that we had here years ago, um, I learned in the beginning as I was getting to know him, instead of leading him in a straight line where he can't see, I would lead him in a gentle arc where he can see what's over there. Okay. And now he can see what's back, you know, but it kind of expanded his field of vision by leading him in a mild serpentine. And then gradually I just got it straighter and straighter. And he was like, okay, I know you got my back. You're not going to take me anywhere. That's dangerous. That makes sense. And I ended up sort of stumbling on that myself because it doesn't really work to always be, Tilting, tipping his head to the right. So I, I would try to weave, but where I would weave in the serpentine, I would make sure that that blind side was 
where there were horses on the other side of the fence or there was something that he perceived maybe to be a safe space. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm not going to lead him next to the rustling bush on the blind side. Yeah. And it was, I'm not saying I executed that smoothly or anything, but I, I did come to go, oh, this is helpful. The other thing is that sometimes he needs to stop. He He's not sure if he heard something or not. He's not super spooky. He's just, he's just, uh, he's very alert, which makes sense. And what yeah. I learned to do is to ask for a stop before he was about to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not that he was stopping, but we were getting to a point where I was like, if I were him, I might want to stop soon. And then I would ask for the stop and then sure. let him look around. And so that sounds so like, like such a tiny thing. Right. But that was part of um, helping him understand that, you know, we were meeting halfway, like there's, right. There's rules, but they're they're pretty simple ones, you know, like, you know, don't run me over. That's a basic rule or whatever. Um, and that I would do my best to present things to him in such a way that he could feel safe. And, and, and if I was slow on the uptake, that I would I would consider that as a first option. So let's say something happens and he's not feeling too good about something, and I'm like, I will consider as the first option that I missed something like that would be like, that's, that's it. That's my gift to you, the horse. So I would pause for a minute and go, well, I don't think he's just randomly being rude. What did I miss? Or is there something that I can detect? Sometimes I didn't detect it, but just that kind of maybe presence in my mind that he could pick up on. I'm not immediately jerking him, but I'm kind of going, all right, well, what's happening for a minute. He, he seemed to come to appreciate that. Um, but interesting because it was my first one-eyed horse and, you know, a horse again, that had run at the track that long with one eye, very admirable athlete. I feel like very, you know, smart horse. It just makes an interesting tutorial for me. And, um, I've come to find that if you, if you try to rush them or if you try to slow them down, those are both things that kind of get you in the wrong frame of mind or you get in the wrong tone between you and the horse. So sometimes I've sped up when I, I was thinking we need to go slower. I'm talking in general now, different horses where I'm like, well, you've only been here a month. You, you should need more time. And the horse is kind of looking at you like, I really need to do something and like, okay, I guess I need to change what my expectation was for what, how much turnout time you need. Most of the time though, it goes the other way. They will usually want to go slower than faster. Um, but every now and then I get one that's really needing to get to the next thing sooner. It's just something that's the way the horse's mind is, or um, he learns better when he's asked to do more of a puzzle with his feet or something like that. So uh, each one is different for sure. And, and the, when you take a horse that you don't know, then you don't know what their past has been. You don't know where they handled well or where they not. And there's, you, you deal with a lot of off the track horses. There's a lot of good handlers on the track. Absolutely. Definitely. There's, there are some poor ones too. Any discipline, pick it. Doesn't matter. There's a lot of poor handling. There's some good handling too. And you don't know what they've had. So you have to kind of experiment to see what do they understand? What does this mean to you? Is that what I meant for it to mean? If it was awesome. If it wasn't, Maybe I need to change my presentation a little bit. And then we got to try to figure out what language we can talk together that makes sense. And uh, yeah, it's a, a, an 
ongoing journey to try to figure them out and to learn from them. And that's really what um, people talk a lot about feel. It, it means a lot of different things to different people. Yes. It's, it's very hard to teach, obviously, but that's what it means to me is adapting to the individual horse. And you do have to have some skills, the, the, the fundamentals of a language, an understanding of their feet, an understanding of how their body works right. as a horse in general, right? And the experiences that each of us have had, mm. you know, if we've handled one horse before, that's all we understand, that this worked with that horse. That if you've handled thousands of horses, you may have handled some that were similar to this one, and maybe I can try that. Maybe I can try this, because that worked on this horse. And, you know, so there's every now and then there's a, a brand new situation that comes up and you go, let's try to figure it out. I don't have anything in my knowledge. Uh, teach me what to do to help you understand. And I've got to figure that out on the fly. And sometimes you got to figure it out before someone gets hurt. Mm -hmm. So you better start thinking fast. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that rapid fire curiosity. Yeah. Where you really need to ask the question and find an answer in your mind, you know, faster. And to be um, open to what the horse is trying to say too. Mm -hmm. Be open to their understanding or lack of understanding of how you're presenting something. And that's a, it's a never ending quest. <laughs> it is. Well, let me, before uh, we go on too much longer, cause I'm watching the time for you guys. Uh, Elizabeth and Jenny, do you have any questions for Brent and Chris? You look thoughtful, Elizabeth. Um, I just, well, I appreciate everything he's telling us. And I'm, I am curious about the young horse handling because um, I, I've heard about it from Amy and then a couple of other people. Uh, and I've heard about it many times. So if, you know, you might see me there too. Sometimes. I'm God, very, very curious now God, more than I was before. God help um, you, Brent, if two of us show up at the same time, because we're, we're going to, we're going to be difficult. Yeah. You have to separate us. Yeah. My question was, how did you get that going in a clinic setting? Like what was your inspiration for that? I love the idea of it. I'm just very curious about how it got started. Well, it got started with Chris basically. So what happened was that when I was starting cults for a living, I started, Halter started a lot of yearlings. And a lot of times the cults that would come to me, I Halter started them and then rode them because they had never been messed with much. But uh, there was a gentleman that we had, Halter started his cults for several years, well, for quite a few years. And then one year he decided he was going to save some money and didn't have us to do it. Then he called me up and he goes, okay, so... Last year, I was going to save some money and do it myself, and I didn't get around to doing it. Would you come and halter start my two-year-olds? I'm like, sure. And so me and Chris, and we had a, a tenant. Uh, then I've got a little uh, mobile home that's our bunkhouse now, but we had a young lady that was renting from us while she was going to college here, and uh, she's a handy kid, and said, come on, let's go and halter start these colts. She goes, you bet. This and, was my first experience, by the way. I had yeah. just moved here. 
And so we got those guys going and we had them saddled and did we step up on one of them? I think we stepped up on a couple of them, but we, it was about four days to help start six Colts. And anyway, the last day we were coming back home and Renee said, you know, my dad hosted Ray Hunt for years. And this is, I've never seen this piece of it quite like that. This should be a video. And Chris says, no, not a video, because they're all different. This should be a class. Oh, Chris. So, yay, then Chris. It, then it was, yeah, yeah. She's the brains of our outfit. <laughs> but uh, so then uh, Ronnie said, well, will you have to start my yearlings? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'll be happy to do that under two conditions. And he's like, okay, I had that coming. I said, okay. One condition is that you you let me bring in some people and doing it in class. And he goes, well, will I get the same results you've been you've been giving me? I'm like, yeah, we'll be supervising them and, and working with them. He goes, okay, what's the other condition? I said, well, the other condition is that you don't pay me anything. He goes, wait, you're going to do that for free? Said, well, I'm charging the students. That's I'm not going to charge twice for the same thing. So if you'll let me do it at no cost and let me bring students in, we'll do that. He said, for free. Deal. <laughs> and then it grew. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's how it started. But thank goodness we didn't make a video 20 years ago because oh, gosh. we've changed. I bet. So, yeah that we would have to revoke the 20 year old video and put up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because like, uh, again, the premise is the teachers who teach the teachers, but then the teachers learn by teaching, right? So you're learning from the students too, as well as the horses. And it's really cool to see that, how that evolves over a decade or two, you know? Um, hopefully, hopefully we're all growing. Yeah. You know? either growing or else you're not or dying yeah there's nothing in between you're either growing or dying is what i was taught so no such thing as stasis so um i'd rather be growing than you know not the other option yeah i hope to keep learning till about my last breath yeah me too me too that's, that's how the class started and then it has grown and it's uh this year we've this spring we have seven classes. So that's gonna be keeping us pretty busy. And then in the fall, we'll have a couple more. Yeah. One of those classes is already full. There's a couple yeah. spots left in the October class. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Elizabeth, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, we could really give them a hard time. We should sign up. <laughs> I'll be checking my calendar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jenny, do you have a question? Um. I don't think I have a specific question. I mean, it's been very helpful. I mean, I love how you talk about with your young horses going with them. You go with them. Yeah. Uh, you go with me, and we'll go together. Um, I'm I'm just recently bought a 17 year old horse, and I'm kind of finding that it's 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 helpful for me to kind of listen to him and say, okay, I'll go with you, and now I want you to go with me, and eventually we'll go together. Um, but I think the thing that's really resounding with me, I think, 
So I think what I hear you're saying is that it's okay to screw up. Like you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. And we all will. Yeah. And if, you just got to listen to the horse. Learn from those mistakes. Yeah. If you if you don't learn from the mistakes, then it's just a mistake. If you learn from it, okay, now I can grow. That was Smidgen that jumped up to join us here. He was checking y'all out. She says, uh, she says we're okay. Yeah, do we, is it, do we get a pause up? up or? <laughs> that's, just, that's our guard dog. So she, She's been trying to join the conversation for about 40 minutes. So I was like, they either have a really strange child or that's a dog. Because I never <laughs> quite saw her. You don't want to ask in case it was a strange child. Like that would be awkward. But uh, I can, at some point, I think I saw her tail. And I'm like, oh, it's a dog. So cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, the everybody has a different philosophy to a point. There's a lot of folks that are kind of in the same book or in the same chapter or even on the same page. But there's a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different right ways to do things. You know, we've got to figure out what works best for us and the horse that we're with. And what works real good for me and this one horse may not work quite so good for Chris and this horse, may not work so good for this other person and the same horse. What works for me and this horse may not work for me and that horse. So I have to be adaptable enough to figure that out. Uh, when we're uh, doing our groundwork, whether it's the yearlings or going horses at the clinics or, or any other time either, it's every time I take the lead rope, that's my reins. You know? And how do I want my rein to feel to the horse when I'm riding on my best finished horse? Mm. That's what I'm trying to get the feel to be like on the lead rope. And when I'm doing a first leading, whenever we go winding through railroad ties or in and out of gates, as they turn, it's like, okay, how is my right turn going to be? How is my left turn going to be? Which side is softer, more supple? If I was riding this colt and we got in trouble, which side is more supple? That's the side I'm going to bend them on. Hmm. Now I need to balance the other side up, but I need to store that information, say this is this, the side that they are more supple on. So if I get in trouble, that's where I'm going because it'll stay, it'll be more supple there too. It's not which side do it, which, which rein do I usually bend? It's which side works best for them. So that everything, everything's about the ride to, to me because that's where they're going to be. Can I get them ready for that? Amy mentioned to me that this she learned from you a lot of the small, small things, like even how you pet a horse. Oh, gosh, you know, yeah. Setting them up for being straight, being yeah. calm, you know, that we don't realize how much influence we have just walking up to touch a horse and even a horse that's used to being petted. Yeah. And uh, yeah. how important that is. Like we almost we almost tune that out maybe sometimes. It's like, well, of course the horse likes to be petted but maybe he doesn't, maybe, or maybe he doesn't like to be petted that way. And there's braces that are happening that you're not aware of. And, um, there's a lot of brace in a horse, by how you pet them, when you, how you reach for them or when you stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's interesting. Yeah. The last time Amy was here, we were working some colts and 
halter starting babies. And one of them, the owner had attempted to do it by themselves. And apparently it didn't go well. So she ended up sending the horse here. But Amy was so fascinating. You know, she's very into the biomechanics and all that as well. And we were following him as he was doing the first leading. We're out in the arena and I'm saying, now look at how that horse is pacing, actually pacing instead of a four beat yeah. walk. And I said, that's because of the way when people try to do a little pull to get halter stardom and then release when the foot comes and then pull and release again, there's a brace with every single step and you can destroy the quality of the gates very quickly. And if your timing is poor on that release or of the request again, you just made it a whole lot worse. Yeah. And that was very interesting that that Colt was pacing that early in life. And as he was yeah. weaving in and out of the poles, you could see the horse with still slack in the rain. He wasn't pulling, but still slack in the rain. That horse would just swivel her head like this and swivel her head like that because she was already operating with so much tension in her body. And so um, every time he took that horse again, Amy was just right there going, okay, I want to see how you fix this because she sees a lot of that, you know, in her line of work as well. Um, and the horse turned out really nice. Yeah. By the way, she got real soft and supple and quit pacing. But when she would worry, she'd pace, you know, as you go, mm -hmm. okay. So that's, that showed up even before, quick breathing showed up when she was worried. And so you go, oh, interesting. Where does the horse show their early signs of worry? And and they go back to their yeah. foundation and that was her foundation was to yeah. get that tension all the way through her body. Wow. It's interesting about releases too. And uh, again, not I'm not an expert on this, but I've just noticed that even if I'm working with a horse who's, pretty fresh off the track and who has a lot of brace. I need to be careful when I release for a try, a small try that I don't release too abruptly. Right. Right. That, that there's a, as a feeling of a, of a, even though the horse is very heavily braced, right. So it's not like, it's not like we're doing a canter pirouette or something. We're, we're just on the ground. Maybe he actually gave a little bit, maybe I'm asking for a lateral flexion. Um, and he gave and he genuinely softened. It was very small, but he genuinely softened, not to just drop that lead rope, but to make it feel good that we're still connected in the release somehow. I don't know. I'm not probably not articulating it very well, but where it feels almost like a cradling down, right? Versus a, now I just let go of you. And when I first was learning more about horsemanship, I had this idea that a good release on my part would be where I'm, I just remove myself from the picture, so to speak. I just sort of exit. Now I don't literally do it, but- there's a big difference between a release and an abandonment. Ah. And so I think that's what you're meaning there. Yeah. Can I still be there? So we maybe we need to do something else real quickly again. I don't want to just all of a sudden disappear or have nothing to offer them on the line. I want the, the feel down the lead rope or down the reins or my hand on their neck to feel good to them. And so whenever they did something good, I still want that to feel good to them. I want to still be there. But so maybe more relax is a better word than release on some of those mm -hmm. situations. 
Right. And sometimes when you, again, I'm thinking specifically of the horses I work with a lot, they, let's say I'm taking hold of the lead rope and they're actually interested in coming with me, but they don't know how to do that right. without a certain amount of tension and abruptness. So I don't want to reject the invitation, right, that they're offering, but I want to try to smooth it into something that might feel, give them an idea of what could be a little better, right? Mm -hmm. If you get fixated on someone watching you who might not see anything different about what you're doing, you get in trouble, right? But if you're just like you and the horse, it's like trying to sort of give you this feeling of, I appreciate how you're offering. I'm glad you're coming to me. Can you do that a little bit like this? And so it becomes really, even though on the surface, all you're doing is you've picked up the lead rope and you've moved like half a step together. But that's something that maybe over the last year, I've really noticed that some of these horses, their way of seeking a connection or contact might feel really heavy, but there's actually a genuine offer in there and, and learning to see that rather than just saying, well, that's too heavy for me. It's like, well... I can see the, the, the expression in the eye is softer than what is the feel is on the lead rope in that mm -hmm. moment. How can I, he's thinking about something softer. How can I reward that in a way that makes sense to the horse? So it's very, it can be very complex, you know, and um, in a good way, like it's, and then you get the response from the horse where maybe they soften more, or maybe the fifth step is a little bit more smooth or without it ever being, I want you to do this a certain way. I want it to feel good to you is kind of maybe more the thing. But. You know, Tom Dorrance talked about trying to uh, know what happened before it happened. And it's not just seeing the result afterwards, it's seeing the horse shaping up for making the change. Can you notice those little changes before the big change happens the little precursors so uh, that I, I wasn't fortunate enough to know tom i would have loved to have i think but uh i i know him through a lot of people that did spend time with him and uh that was one of the things that he was looking for know what happens before it happens not after before when's it shaping up when are they getting ready to make it can you figure out how to make the right thing obvious mm. not, not just make the wrong thing difficult all the time make the right thing obvious and we try real hard to do that that's where we we think about in uh, our terminology the open door mm -hmm. make the right thing obvious mm -hmm. here's here's the open door let me let me get out of your way a little more to make sure you see that that is way open well, and a, and a lot of people, um, like let's say the average first catch of an unhandled horse, first catch, first leading. I timed a whole bunch of horses a while back and I put a, I think I put a post on Facebook. It takes 30 to 40 minutes from the time the horse enters the pen until the time we've let them through a bunch of other different size round pens and then out into our big arena and around and through some obstacles and then go and take the halter off takes 30 to 40 minutes. And some people were like, well, you must be putting him in a squeeze chute to get the halter on. No, no, we're not. 
but he's so good at seeing where are they thinking about going anyway? What are they going to do anyway? That it almost seems like the lines get blurred in the horse's thinking. Was that my idea or yours? It doesn't matter. And yeah. does, yeah. And, and before you know yeah. it, it's just like, this is what we're doing and this is where yeah. we're going. And they're like, okay, <laughs> you know. And it's not just moving away from pressure. It's moving into something that's and softer. Yeah, make yeah. them hunt. That's good. Help them hunt for it. Yeah. You don't just uh, think I got to get this on them. It's like, can I get you to find, show some curiosity here? Can you reach towards me just a little bit? Or if I've got, um, used to be, I would I would rope the horses on the first catch and then work my way up to them and get the halter on. And then we had a, a group wanted to come to one of the yearling classes that was all from a horse rescue group. And they said, what we want to get out of this class is a way to catch horses. None of us rope. None of us want to learn how to rope, but we have to seize horses. So we got to figure out how to catch horses. And so Anyways, like, okay, thank you for letting me know that early. And then Chris and I sat down and thought, okay, how can I work that out? You know, because uh, these horses are sure enough untouched horses that we're dealing with. And she said, you know how a lot of times you kind of wish that your arm was a little longer and you could just set the loop on them instead of tossing the loop on them? I'm like, yeah. She goes, you know, the Grabbers like old folks use in the park, picking up stuff off the ground. Why don't let's take a grabber and hold the loop out there and try to draw the horse into it. Just, you know, like when you're drawing them in the pin, just be there with the loop. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. We just play ridiculous yeah. things, but uh, they work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's for them, not for us. And, you know, Maybe that'll help. We thought, okay, let's try it. And usually before long, the horse is going to put his nose into the loop and catch himself. And then there's a whole lot less stress on them. And that's the way we catch nearly all of them now. Well, that's so it, cool. I really don't care much what other people think about how it looks. I care what the horse thinks, though. And that translates and to them looking for the noseband of the halter. I can search for it. Yeah, yeah. And you find sense. my stuff. So I can I can put a halter on a horse from about six feet away. Wow. Without ever touching them. With, yeah. We've got a specially designed halter and special gear that we've kind of just made here at home. Yeah, just let things adapt. And how can we make it less stressful for that colt? So if we take if we think about the the horses that with, we had 10 horses here that are going out tomorrow. And this evening, the next group came in. So if you think about these horses that just came in, okay, their first interaction with people was when they got weaned from their mamas. A lot of times they'll just sort them through a, a series of gates, put the babies off with some older geldings or older mares, send the mares away and now they're separated. That's pretty stressful time, that first handling there. And then uh, whether they were ever touched or not, 
Now, all of a sudden, they are put into a little box of a trailer and then driven for how long to get to our place. And now they're at a, they've been taken away from everything they know. Everything is familiar. Just this one little group of cults is all that they know. And now they're in a strange place, probably in the smallest pen they've ever been in in their life. And now somebody's trying to sort me off of the only thing I know, these other eight babies. Now you put me in a pen all by myself and some strangers in here. What's next? That's a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. How can I make it less stressful? The, the first time a halter is on their face. They've had mama's milk on their face before. That's about it. That's pretty stressful. They're real constricted. What happens when you're real constricted? Well, you die. That instinct runs really deep and it's real close to the surface on the, the, the untouched horses. And how can we make it less stressful? But in that moment, a lot of people talk about as if they're the only options, fight or flight. Yeah. And it's like, no, the first thing they're look, doing is looking for a friend. And so, you know, fight or flight or find a friend is what we've been saying for a long time. And yeah. I started to hear other clinicians say it now. So I'm glad that that's, that's spreading cool. yeah. <laughs> because it's an important piece in, you know, in the mind of the student, if they think the horse is going to do only fight or flight. That's pretty horrifying. And what you're yeah. trying to do is offer friendship. Yeah. Sometimes some of those colts are so scared, you know, they're not going to hunt for you at all. We'll bring in an older horse. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of horses that we use a lot. One of them is 35 years old and still uh -huh. loves to work. Yeah. And when he comes into the pen, he owns the pen. And he settles the, I mean, he settles those guys so fast. And they're like, Uncle Cayman, you're here. <laughs> I was wondering when. <laughs> I bet, I bet he sells the people too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been doing that job for decades. Yeah. And so he knows exactly what we're doing and how yeah. we're doing it and what we need to do different. And he will tell us what we need to do different. <laughs> That's so cool. A lot of the things that we do, we've learned from yeah. him because he's guided us that way. Yeah, he's he's one of those horses that just loves his job. He's always loved to work. His fourth ride, we gathered a pasture of cows. Wow. And you know, we took our time, but he's like, all right, let's go. Got it. Got it. Now let's go to work. And we, he's loved his job ever since. We need to send you a war horse because uh the ones that really enjoy being outside, being an open, they love to work too. Yeah. And uh, so that'll be fun. I think everybody should have a war horse, particularly people I like. So I'm always trying to figure out places to plant really good ones. So, well, on this note, I think we should end because we've actually been talking over an hour now. It's kind <laughs> of, yeah, I know it goes really fast. And um, I could talk to you both like for another hour, but then you'll never come back. So <laughs> I'm hoping we can talk again. I'd love to keep learning from you if you guys uh, have the time and availability, maybe in a couple months or looking at your schedule, because this definitely is a big piece that like for me is, is just not there. I've never dealt with this, uh, you know, untouched colds. And it's kind of, as they say, the answers are in the beginning 
and I have no idea what a truly clean beginning is like. So I think it would be really interesting to learn from you. Things, yeah, you know that's it's so fun, and that that can help you with the horses that have troubles too. Yeah, yeah. How quickly can you do it? Okay, now I understand that. Now, how do I present it to you, where you can filter through the the baggage that you're dealing with, and and hear what I'm trying to say, or tell me what you're trying to say in a manner that I can understand too. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating world with these guys. It really is. Well, it's been really fascinating talking to you guys and thank you again so much. You know, as I said, I know time is, is a limited resource, particularly on a ranch with lots of babies and uh, so extra appreciate it. And I will definitely be in touch. I'd like to keep in touch with you both. Um, I'll, I'll check your calendar, but also maybe for another interview, whenever works, maybe a little later, a few months from now. Um, Cause I just, I enjoyed this so much. And like I said, I can't believe I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to stop it at an hour. And even I went over, I'm pretty seasoned because I was so interested in what you were saying. So thank you guys so much and um, have a great rest of the week and we'll be My definitely in touch uh, soon. Podcast here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did great. You're a natural Brent. You should, that we'll, we'll have you back on for sure, but you're really good on the podcast. So uh, definitely. You. Yeah. Future, future star. So take care you guys. To look at it on the computer. It's Chris is like, right there, right there. Yeah, you, like, are, yeah. You, go, you, look, you look all professional. Like you've been doing it forever. So she set you up. Well, you've got a good backdrop there. So She's like um, the, the guiding light. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. Yeah, sometime, Lynn. That'll be great. So I'd love to do it. I really would. It, it'd be a stretch for me, but I think in a good way. And um, it w- I would, I would really value learning from you and learning from those babies. So we'll definitely make that happen sometime for sure. Sometimes we had a couple of days, you know, that are available. You'd be more than welcome to come out and just spend a little. Just watch us while we're working some of these babies or whatever. So I would love that. Thank you so much. And I'll take you up on it. So be careful. Because <laughs> I probably will show up sometime when you have a few days. So sure. all right, well take care. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like more information about Brent and Chris's work, please go to their website, Brentgraf G-R-A-E-F.com. This interview aired several weeks ago as a private Zoom for my Horsewise Scholars podcast study group. If you'd like more information about that program, please go to horsewisecoach.com scholars. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.